You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back, folks, to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It's actually Sunday, my official day off, although I'm not taking the day off today. Um, in between games of Monopoly and War with the five- and seven-year-olds, uh, now the kids are out of the house, and I figured I'd record an episode today because I I apologize, I missed late, late last week. There was just too much going on. Um, and we are living in a time when conservatives needed leadership more than ever. And if conservative review is the only place to provide that, then look, we'll be busy overtime. Um, as you saw this week, we had CPAC, which is supposed to stand for Conservative Political Action Conference. But, you know, throughout the years, it's really been libertarian. And now it's just been a mumbo jumbo of the lowest common denominator of Trump's faults and the GOP establishment's faults. What you saw this week was no leadership, a bunch of platitudes bunch of random issues, no discussion of the courts, except ironically for when Mark Levin, our boss here, had Ted Cruz on stage. We actually did address that, and we got Ted Cruz on record as supporting my effort to invoke Article 3, Section 2, and have Congress strip the courts of jurisdictions. That was one good outcome, but otherwise, it was full of garbage. You know, the media is starting to report conservatism is dead. And we have this, we're kind of sandwiched in between these so-called populist nationalists and the pseudo-conservative establishment, which is not conservative and hasn't been. It's been bankrupt. And the theme I want to address today is that in order to find a solution, we have to first be honest with ourselves about the severity of the problem. As conservatives, we need to stop lying to each other. And, you know saying, oh, everything's great, uh, most conservative cabinet ever, oh, it's the media's fault, and we just need to rail against the media and everything will be great. We have some major problems here, you know, a month into this presidency. And again, a lot of it is not because of Trump himself. Some of it is his luggage. We'll get to that. Um, but it's his luggage built on top of the existing failed GOP luggage, failed conservative movement luggage, I've said before, if you had a healthy party and a healthy conservative movement, I think we can make some progress with Trump. The problem is we don't. So we get the lowest common denominator between the two factions rather than the greatest common factor. Yes, I know I like using that analogy. I'm pretty bad at math, and that's that's pretty much uh, the extent of my math knowledge here. But but anyway, I think it is a good analogy. It's not that there's nothing, there's no redeeming qualities to Trump's presidency. There are, especially with regards to immigration and terrorism. The problem is the GOP establishment and the movement's not behind him. And then when he is bad and off message, is this economic illiteracy, economic nationalism, which is big government nonsense. Um, you know, we're patriots. We're, we're, we're for sovereignty. There's no greater defender of sovereignty than me. My, my book is Stolen Sovereignty. I've written more columns on sovereignty than probably any 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 writer around. But, you know, to get up there and talk about how you want every pipe 
from the Keystone Pipeline to be built in America. I mean, that's just economic illiteracy. I don't know what to say with that. Just pure nonsense. But, you know, let's not lie to ourselves about the problems. Let's not stoop to the soft bigotry of low expectations, where we have such low expectations that anything that's marginally better than what Obama would have been, we'll be happy with. Well, we got Keystone Pipeline. Well, whoop-de-doo, of course. Any Republican president would have had that. Obama was blocking it. Once he's out, it's it's over. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go through in no particular order just some observations from this past week from CPAC. Larry Arn, um, a man that I know many of you respect, I respect immensely, the dean of uh, Hillsdale College, he gets up there, and, and his speech was really an embarrassment. And I hate to say it, it's probably the first time I'm, I'm ever going to say this about Larry Arn, and I hope the last time. But, you know, he gets up there and says, oh, this is the most conservative cabinet ever. And and and, and he actually said, Gors- Neil Gorsuch, let me tell you, I mean, this man, I, I thought Clarence Thomas was the best, but Gorsuch is really going to give him a run for his money. I mean, really? I mean, so now we're at the point where he might be better than Clarence Thomas? Come on. Let's not lie to ourselves. He's somewhere between a Roberts and an Alito, hopefully closer to an Alito. But, you know, I have a list of 15 questions that I would ask him that no one else has asked, and they cut to the core of what actually matters on immigration, on marriage, on religious liberty, on the role of the courts. And, you know, maybe two or three of them I have some confidence in him, but the rest of them I really don't know. All I do know is that he said you can't criticize judges. You know, instead of piling on and publicly saying it's a travesty what the courts are doing stealing our sovereignty engaging in civil disobedience and nullification he actually got up there and said um and and ben sass seemed to confirm this that he was pretty animated about it all you can't criticize judges let me tell you something that mentality and I, i don't mean to rehash the podcast we did two weeks ago or was it last week i don't even remember a couple episodes ago we're we're at episode 94 by the way pretty close to the big, uh, big hundred. But anyway, uh, you know, I pointed out that a lot, there's a lot behind that sentiment. And it ain't a Clarence Thomas sentiment. So let, again, let's not lie to ourselves what we're getting. Well, Daniel Gorsuch would have been better than anyone Hillary appointed. Well, yeah, but we already lost the courts. We lost the lower courts. We lost Scalia. Even if you replace Scalia, you just have what Scalia said was the worst, most liberal court ever. It's the Obergefell court. The disparate impact court, you know, the affirmative action court, the Hellerstadt court, and I can go on and on. All the stuff Kennedy has screwed us on. So let, let, let's not get up there. Oh my gosh, Gorsuch! And, and, and again, this is when we lie to ourselves as conservatives. Our many of our people have become just as shallow as the left. And I know we spoke a, a lot about this during the primary, during the general election. Oh, I even speak to some members of my family. All my friends, family, neighbors, they're all conservative. You know, they're all Republicans. Um, so, you know, you get a good sense of stepping out of – sometimes i got to step out, out of my bubble because I do live in a bubble of truth where I actually see what's really going on. And I do this for a living. I put my heart and soul into it. And I have to recognize that a lot of people, you know, I understand. They have a regular job, and they don't, they don't see or hear the things I, I see and hear. And they think, oh, the media, the media, that's all I hear from my friends and relatives, family. Um, I'm like, well, forget the media for a minute. What do we stand for affirmatively? Let's stand for what's right. Let's fight for what's right. Let's have a positive conservative agenda that's good for America. And then we can fight the media. (laughs) 
But if we have major issues with our own agenda, our own party, our own movement, which is completely bankrupt, well, there's no point. I mean, you got to have your own army before you go out and fight the enemy's army, which is the media. So, I mean, this is kind of where we are at the point where we're caught between this perception that we control all areas of government, we control the House, Senate, and the White House, but we really don't. You know, our agenda is not getting through. And, and that's what I mean by the soft bigotry of low expectations. Where we just talk about Gorsuch. Oh, Gorsuch is great. Oh, the media is terrible. It's funny. You listen to any conservative man on the street. Look at that Gorsuch man. It's so cute watching some of our people. They never heard. Give, like, give me a break. You never heard of him before. I'm not saying he's bad, but it's just like, <laughs> what exactly about him is, oh, this is the best ever. Because you read on some conservative blog and Drudge Report and talk radio and Rush Limbaugh that he's the greatest ever. There's no end to, to itself. I mean, it's not like Robert Bork and Scalia that they were known quantities for years in the movement beforehand. No one heard of this guy. We don't. There's a lot we don't know about him. And like I said, some of the things I've been seeing aren't great. But Larry Arnn gets up there, and of course, it's just good, maybe even better than Clarence Thomas. And then all he wanted to talk about was the Chevron Doctrine. <laughs> I know we, again, we had a podcast on this before, but what about religious liberty? And by the way, that was the biggest thing that was absent. Nothing about the cultural Marxism, nothing about the decivilization agenda, nothing about Christians and Jews being forced to service things uh, against their conscience with their own private property, nothing about the severity of the judicial tyranny, Chevron doctrine. What type of, I mean, our guys are so full of groupthink now. We've literally become like the left during the Obama era. And it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help Trump for that matter. So, you know, Trump gets up there at CPAC, and for the first three quarters of the speech, he just has like a running commentary about the media, about the election, how many states he won, Bernie Sanders. Like, you know, it's not cute anymore. It's not funny anymore. What we needed from the speech was leadership, and what we got was, a, a you know, just a bunch of vapid campaign promises. But here's the problem. It's not the campaign anymore. And I want to warn you guys that, look, I'll admit, just like everyone else, I was wrong about the horse race, state of play, you know, whether he he would actually win the election. And I always tell you, I'm not a horse race guy. You know, I would go on Steve Dace's show and, you know, he, he'll ask me about it. I'll give my opinion. But I feel stronger about my political acumen, about the policies, about what's right for the country, what we should be doing than just the horse race electoral politics. I, I don't claim to be an expert. And frankly, no one really is. No one properly predicted what was going to happen. But what you could hold me to is the following prediction. I will make this prediction. If we continue on the path we, we are, we're on now, which, look, by no means is, this, is the die cast. The first five weeks or so, it's still early. And, and that's why we need to be honest to ourselves and write this ship. And I think we can write the ship. But if we're going to continue just having Trump rail against the media, rail against everyone else, it's not going to work like it did in the campaign, because there's one big difference. There, you're on the outside looking in. You're railing against the incumbency of Obama. Here, you have the White House. And look, there'd be one thing if the Democrats had the Senate, so you could make them the foil and try to run on that you know, for the 2018 midterms. But that's not the case. You have the House. You have the Senate. Now, a lot of it's not Trump's fault because the Senate is de facto in Democrat control between all the rhinos and everything and Mitch McConnell's horrible, horrible leadership. 
Um, as bad as the House is, and the House isn't great, but the Senate is totally lost. But it doesn't matter. That's inside baseball. Your average swing voter, what they know is, wait a minute, you made a bunch of promises. You got in. You have all of government, no excuses. It's not going to work to sit there and blame it on everyone else. You need to have your own positive agenda, your own agenda that stands on its own veracity, that it's easy to message. And then again, you know, if the media gets in your way, which of course they will, obviously at that point, you could sit and fight it. But don't devote 80% of your bully pulpit to fighting the media. I'm just saying it's not going to work. It only works when you're when you're on the campaign trail, when you're not in power. But if you're in power, the American people expect results. And that's the thing. Obamacare has got to go. The Republicans are kind of in this worst, they're in the worst position now where they're giving off the perception that they're getting rid of it, but they're only talking about coverage goals, not lowering prices, so they're kind of on defense. Oh, you're going to take people off? Oh, no, no, we're not. We're going to try our best. Oh, wait, wait. You know, So now the problem is not Obamacare. The polling, you see in the polling, has moved because Republicans have been so horrible and articulate. Trump needs to learn there's no such thing as lukewarm hell. And that's what he's got to – what he needs to do is shore up a relentlessly positive agenda and stick with it. Have a 10-point plan from free market health care reforms, term limits, ethics and lobbying reforms, relent, a relentless security and sovereignty agenda. We have 20 ideas we put up at Conservative Review. And then go to Paul Ryan. Go to Mitch McConnell. Have your vice president, Mike Pence, meet with them and say, this is our agenda. We're moving this right now. Some of it we're going to move through the budget bill, which, I'm, by the way, I'm going to have a lot more on that. The budget bill coming up in April, I, I believe, it pre- presents us with the biggest opportunity to enact our agenda, um, just given you know the fact that it's so hard to do it legislatively. But right now, we literally have nothing to show for the first five weeks. I could tell you there has never been a presidency, especially where the president has his own party controlling Congress – that has accomplished nothing in the first five weeks. And again, to be clear, it's not all Trump. Some of it's his wasted bully pulpit. Some of it's him being off message. Some of it's him being incompetent. A lot of it's the Republican Party standing for nothing too. You know, and then the Democrats are holding up his cabinet. But it's the mixture of all of this. And, and I'm tying this all into CPAC in the sense that you know, again, to go back to what we started with, there's a lot of talk about, oh, the conservatism is dead. A conservatism, CPAC showed it's all about Trump. Trump remade the party. And, you know, I, I, I said this throughout the last year. I'm not bothered by Trump, quote unquote, destroying conservatism. It, there, there is no conservatism. But I would argue where folks like Steve Bannon get it wrong is this. It's not that conservatism has failed, so we need to find this new national socialism excuse the pun there, <laughs> but I mean, that's really what it is, you know, good on immigration, good on national security, um, but fiscally and socially liberal, at least on some issues, you know, they say they're going to be good on that, on the regulatory state, which I think there is a lot of potential there, but then again, keep in mind, if you're for this economic not nationalism, you know, it comes with a big administrative state, just know that, but, um, but no, I would argue we never tried conservatism. The few times we tried it during Reagan and and during, you know, a little bit with Newt Gingrich, it actually worked. And and keep in mind with Newt, we didn't have the presidency. With Reagan, we didn't have Congress. We never had the House. We had the narrow Senate majority for part of his tenure. We have all three branches now. 
The problem is there is no Republican Party. There is no conservative movement. They don't fight back against cultural Marxism. You know, a lot of people said, Daniel, why don't why don't they have you in the cabinet? Why don't they have you in the Justice Department or the White House? And look, I mean, I think I'm better on the outside. Not that I've been offered anything. But yeah, why isn't anyone articulating the message we articulate at Conservative Review? A forceful, consistent, defendable, defensible message that's on message, it speaks to the issues people care about. And, and this is the opportunity Trump's going to have Tuesday night when he issues his um, – when he delivers his, his speech before Congress. Go relentlessly on offense. Speak to the morality of your immigration policies. You know, I have, I have a piece up talking about a, a, a story out of Europe. No one even reported on this last week. Um, a couple of French Jews were kidnapped outside of Paris by Islamists. And they, they don't tell you who they are, but you know these aren't ISIS people or Al Qaeda people. These are Muslim immigrants or children of Muslim immigrants that they allow to migrate to the to, to Western countries under suicidal immigration policies. So they kidnapped these Jews, and one of them evidently sawed off the finger of one of the victims. That's a, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, we're not talking about Gaza or Pakistan. This is this is Paris. And these bastards have the have the temerity to lecture us about being mean and tolerant and, and, and values on immigration. Are you kidding me? Where the hell are your values when you allow these beasts to immigrate to, to the West? You tolerate the intolerant under the, under the guise of tolerance. When Jews can no longer live in Europe. You know, the chief rabbi of Belgium said last year, Jews have no future in the continent of Europe. Yet these bastards have the nerve to accuse conservatives and even Trump of being anti-Semitic? What? He's the one who wants to ensure that America doesn't become like Europe. We're about a half a step behind them demographically. This is the type of nonsense we want and important to our country? Are you kidding me? I mean, you guys got to check this piece out. I mean, I really laid out on the line, and I, I think almost word for word, this is what Trump should say in his quasi-State of the Union address. You know, during the Constitutional Convention, as well as um, during the first House debate in, on the 1790 Naturalization Act, Madison said very clearly, you know, I, I've been giving the legal case for sovereignty over the last couple of weeks, the, obviously the legal right to exclude, to deport. Um, but just philosophically, what are our values, our history, our traditions on immigration? Their idea was only to bring in people, quote, who are a real addition to the wealth and strength of the United States. He said he only wanted to admit foreigners of merit and Republican principles among us in order to, make, quote, maintain the character of liberty, which had been professed in all the constitutions and publications of America. That's what they wanted. Theodore Sedgwick of uh, Massachusetts, he was a House member during the 1790 debate. He said the whole idea of keeping immigration through in, um, in the hands of the people's representatives, not the unelected courts, was so that they would use their discretion, quote, to admit none but reputable citizens, such only were fit for the society into which they were blended. I have an entire chapter on this in Stolen Sovereignty um, pick up your copy if you haven't gotten yet. It's seventeen bucks. Like I said, I would give it. I would give it away for free. It's so important. I just can't do that because the you know publisher wouldn't be too happy with me. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I have an entire chapter, chapter six, on the values of our country on immigration. And you listen to even conservatives, even even Trump sometimes, it sounds like it's a matter of vetting. Well, I just want to make sure we're not letting, allowing in terrorists. But let me tell you, all these attacks in the streets of Paris where Jews being beaten for you know, walking the streets openly Jewish or this guy's finger sawed off. I doubt these people, if they immigrated or their parents did when they came in, there was a way to vet them that you're a car-carrying terrorist. But what you can vet, what you do see prima facie, is a culture that is fundamentally incompatible with our culture. Now, yeah, you bring in mass migration, you bring in several million Muslims to Western society, yeah, there's a handful that will assimilate and they'll be good people. But But a tremendous amount hate our values, especially if they subscribe to Sharia. Some will become terrorists, some won't. But it all cumulatively cultivates a climate for terrorism and subversion of Western values. This, this is basic stuff. I mean, the, a generation ago, even Democrats recognized this. Now even Republicans don't recognize it. Even though the paradigm before our eyes is just, <laughs> you can't miss it. I don't get it. Is it that hard to articulate we will not bring intolerance into our country. You know, Trump should get up there and say this. You know, I always tell people, you have the right to be an Islamic supremacist. I mean, as long as you don't engage in terrorism, violate federal law, once you're a citizen, once we allow you here and you, and you get citizenship, you're allowed to be a white supremacist. You're allowed to be anything. I mean, you're allowed to harbor hateful views if you don't act in a violent way. It's the First Amendment. But you don't have a right to immigrate, and this is what's so important. This is why in an open and free society, if you want to ensure security, we have something called a front door check. Immigration is where we have 100% broad authority, where, no, we're not la- allowing people that we don't like in. You know, if, you, if we had a certain society or groups of countries, nationalities, that not all of them, but it certainly was very endemic of these societies that they would be, you know, they would harbor a supremacist mindset, um, white supremacism. They would hate black people, let's say. Should we allow them in our country? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> There's no First Amendment right to immigrate. So if we have people that are Islamic supremacists, and as hateful as white supremacism is, Islamic supremacism is a lot worse because that that is part of a global existential threat to our country. I mean, there's no global war of white supremacists. You know, once in a while, a couple will engage in isolated violence. I'm not, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying it's certainly nothing like the global pan-Islamic jihadist threat. What is so hard? Trump needs to give a series of policy speeches speaking to the morality of this, demanding that Congress back him up in the budget bill. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, about how they could just defund or prohibit funding for the issuance of visas um, or refugee status, and done. It's over. (laughs) What are the courts going to do? Put an injunction on the lack of funding? And he needs to articulate a case that we are a democracy. We're a republic, democratic republic. We're not a judicial oligarchy. Talk about substance. And it's frustrating. He he does throw in a little bit of substance here and there, but it's so colored with this craziness. The economic uh, populism, progressive Bernie Sanders populism, rambling about the media. I mean, again, some of it is cute, some of it's fun, but after a while, if that's all you have, you're in control. I mean, it's just, it's not going to cut it. 
In other words, why don't we actually articulate a conservative agenda, which we haven't done since Reagan? Don't tell me, oh, conservatism failed. Yeah, because we didn't articulate it. This false choice between, oh, you know, this phony status quo conservative movement, which isn't conservative, versus Trump nationalism. Well, why don't we actually have a normal movement? But that all takes honesty. We need to recognize that we didn't win anything. We won the right to get our men on the field and gain possession of the ball. Now we have to make plays. Instead of we're sitting and playing with just throwing the ball in the air, tossing the ball away, tossing interceptions. And then and then we have, like I said, these low expectations. Well, Betsy DeVos, uh, I sure rather have her. Well, really? I mean, you know, when everyone says this is the most conservative um, cabinet ever, I mean, really? Munchen, Ross, Tillerson? This guy McMaster, by the way, that that he just promoted for to made a national security chief. I mean, really? You got rid of Flynn for this? And why did he get rid of Flynn? If he clearly didn't do anything wrong, they didn't catch anything on the tape. The whole thing was overblown. Trump himself said so. Why so why did you fire him? Where's the leadership? This McMaster guy is one of these guys, um, uh, you know, there's there's reports out here. I have, you know, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, but Ed Straker of the American Thinker. I'm just going to quote you um, from here. The advisor, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, told the staff of the National Security Council on Thursday in his first all-hand staff meeting that the label, quote, radical Islamic terrorism was not helpful because terrorists are un-Islamic. You guys are an educated enough audience to know a lot more stands behind that. There's a lot more where that comes from. That's exactly what we've been fighting, this mentality within the foreign policy elites of both parties. And that's what Flynn, for the most part, was standing against, and this is what we have now. And you got Betsy DeVos, who downright supported the transgender edict. (laughs) I mean, thank God for Jeff Sessions that he overruled her. You know, and she gets up there at CPAC and talks about, oh, my life partner, I'm a grandmother, didn't say that she's a wife. I mean, maybe I'm nitpicking here, but it, it just it, it reeked of liberalism. She's a big government Bush, Bush Republican. They support charter schools and private schools, but they also support a massive Department of Education running all of it. So that's that's your Bush Republicanism. You also have the problem of Ivanka and Jared. Everywhere you turn, whether it's promoting the two state solution, I, I have that in good word that it's coming coming from Jared. You have global warming. You know, where Jared had Trump revise one of his uh, executive guidances um, where he derogatorily mentioned uh, global warming as a hoax. And then you have the, the you know, the, all the social issues, which aren't even social. So, you know, we have, a, we have our work cut out for ourselves. And to just say, oh, we're going to be like uh, nationalists now, it, it doesn't speak to what's going on. And even the nationalist components of it the Republican establishment um, is out to lunch. So that's the thing. In the coming days, I'm going to have a blueprint out, God willing, this week on judicial reform, 12 ideas or so. We're going to have our ideas out, 20 ideas for free market health care reform. You know, imagine if Trump got up there during the State of the Union address and actually spoke to the morality of health care and said, yes. It is a moral right. It's a right for people to have whatever options the market produces. That we cannot mandate 
subsidize, regulate, and tax ourselves into solvency. And that if nothing changes, Humana you know, already said they're, they're out. The Blues are going to leave soon. Nobody will have insurance. So even the you know, 90% got crushed with Obamacare, even the 10% that gets so heavily subsidized that it's better off for them, but that's going to be gone. So it's literally, it's not, it's not like a 90-10 wash. It's 100-0. He needs to make that case. He needs to get up there and point a finger to the Democrat side of the aisle and say, hey, Dems, what the hell is your plan on health care? What's your plan? You broke it. You set the fire. We're the, we're the firefighters coming in here, and now you're shooting at the firefighters. What's your plan? But that's the thing. The outrage, the boldness of, of Trump needs to be focused on principles, on issues. The passion, channel it into something s- substantive. Otherwise, we just sit here like sitting ducks looking like fools where we officially have the power, we're complaining about it, not getting anything done, and a few things we try to get done, Republican you know, congressional leadership doesn't stand with him. Man, this is so frustrating. But anyway, we're going to have a lot more out. Like I said, I promise you to continue working on my movement of judicial reform as well as free market health care. I'm going to have an article out tomorrow warning about the coming judicial amnesty, straight-up amnesty, and what we can do about it. You're not going to want to miss that as well. Um, Anyway, we're out of time here. As always, got to make my pitch. Go to preparewithcr.com. Support our sponsor, Patriot Supply. Get 140 ready-made meals to have in your house in case of any disaster or inconvenience. You can't get out to the store. 140 delicious meals, just 99 bucks preparewithcr.com and also this is a very exciting week for CRTV if you don't have your subscription at this point you want to get it done this week because Steve Dace left Salem and he's moving his show on I know a lot of you love him and as 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 well as you should he is he is in my mind the best talk radio show host out there don't tell anyone else I said that I mean I love Mark Levin and that's kind of a different style I love them both but Steve, Steve is really up and coming. You know, I'm going to have a weekly segment as always on his show. Um, except now it's kind of going to be video format as well, so you could watch him get all hyped up. You could watch me. So make sure you subscribe to CRTV. Get your subscription. We have so much more. So little time. We'll be back in a couple days here in the Conservative Conscience as we coast towards our hundredth episode, our big milestone. But thanks for for everything you do. Thanks for all your comments and your support. It's helped me through this time. Um, You know, I've really taken a lot of time away from my family. And just so you know, on Sundays, I usually am with my family. But they are still out. But they're about to come back. So I got to get back to playing Monopoly and War. Lovely. Although it is better than banging my head against the wall with uh, trying to change this party. Thanks so much, guys. God bless. Take care. This has been another episode of Conservative Conscience.